You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Coming to you from Cheltenham, coming to you from the Fitzdares Club in the Orchard at Cheltenham Racecourse. The festival is upon us. Just a few hours now until the tapes flick back ahead of the Supreme Novices Hurdle. And as has been well trailed by just about everyone, the roar will be back because it's been two years since punters were allowed in uh, to this august and hallowed event, which seems to get bigger and bigger and more significant to the lifeblood of the sport as the years pass. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror and he's here to pump up the Cheltenham Festival. But it doesn't really need much pumping up, does it, Dave? How much are you looking forward to today? I don't think I could pump it up any further than it's already (laughs) been pumped. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's been a... a, I I think this has been probably the the biggest build-up to a Cheltenham Festival that I can remember, really. And that is by dint of the fact, as you say, that there were no crowds last year. You get the impression that this has been something that has been built up, that the, the roar for the supreme novices is going to be something that we've even we have never heard at Cheltenham. If it before. doesn't take the roof off, it'll be a bitter disappointment, won't it? It, it will be uh, a disappointment, <laughs> but I think it's probably going to. You know, uh, even... Uh, you know, every year when you get here at half eight, you think you're going to be the first car in the car park. And of course you're not, because there are just loads of people here already. But I get the impression just from arriving here, and it's an impression having been on the track for half an hour, no more than that, that this is going to be exceptionally busy today and exceptionally raucous. And that those people who were denied the opportunity uh, to have their their spring holiday, their spring break at the Cheltenham Festival 12 months ago are really going to make the most of it in 2022. Okay, the key storylines, not just of today, but of the whole week, and one of them is whether Honeysuckle can back up in the champion hurdle. In your mind, how much more difficult is her task this time round? I think it's a bit more difficult. It's very hard to judge, in a sense, because of appreciate it. Um, I've, for weeks now, written uh, preludes that... To the, to the big races that are in today's 36 pages of uh, mirror pullouts, if I put that in. Um, and no wonder you have a spring in your step during, during, during the Shell Festival. It's because you finished all those pullouts. There is, there is definitely that feeling, of course. But in, in writing about, say, a horse like Epitont, I've said, and I, think, I don't think this is a, a, a foolish opinion, we will see, that, that she's back to somewhere like her best when winning this race two years ago. But this is probably a more difficult champion hurdle to win. So, obviously, Epitant, 14 from 14, bidding to make history as uh, the first mayor to win the race twice and, of course, to extend this record, Bueller's, uh, from from the start, unbe- unbeaten uh, sequence, which his was 13, hers now 14, seeking to be 15 today. Um, appreciate it, I think, is a really interesting horse. And I've tipped Appreciate it whilst also... Uh, acknowledging that one is playing the tipster's equivalent of blind man's buff because we don't know what's happened to appreciate it over the last 364 days. We know that he was a thumping winner of the Supreme Novices 12 months ago. Was it, was it 20... 24 lengths. 24 lengths, yeah. just the 24. The time was also respectable. And so 
we've not seen him. He didn't. He didn't take uh, honeysuckle on in the Irish Champion, and he didn't go to the Red Mill. So we we have no gauge to appreciate it. But the vibes from Clusterton are very good. No horse has ever won the champion hurdle on their seasonal return to action. But what are we used to seeing William Mullins doing, if not rewriting the training manual? Here's a question for you. From a professional standpoint, Honeysuckle and Appreciate It come to the last together, upside. Who are you cheering for up the running? Because one of them gives you the chance to say, look, Mirror Man tips champion hurdle winner. What a genius. The other, Well, not quite a genius. Um, imaginative-ish uh, the other one gives you a chance to actually write reams of lovely copy for tomorrow yes it's more like mirror man wins game of blind man's buff uh, really I think that I'll be cheering for appreciate it I think that that's obviously yeah it's about a 4-1 to 9-2 to winning selection which you always need you know you, you can't afford to turn those down but I think that also it, it the story of Appreciate It, getting Mullins to explain what's happened. A horse, of course, who was favourite for the Arkle uh, when the season began. And then there was that switch to hurdles just before Christmas when there was that minor setback. Um, I think that that is the more interesting story. You know, I, I'm a, everyone's a big fan of Honeysuckle. Who isn't? Mm. But uh, from both a tipping perspective and writing the story, I think that a defeat for Honeysuckle and this victory, that something that's never been done before... Um, um, would be the more interesting thing to write. Well, Fitzdares very kindly providing the Fitzdares Club here down in the orchard at Cheltenham uh, to record the daily podcast this week. And joining us from the Fitzdares trading room, their London HQ, Sam Hocknell is with me now. Uh, Sam, must be such an exciting feeling for every trader the morning of, of Cheltenham, or should I say trepidation? Uh, yeah, certainly a bit of both. Can't wait to get started, but um, we sort of know halfway through the day what our fate will be, and then, um, and then we'll go from there, I guess. Okay, what do you hope most and what do you fear most today? I think certainly it'll work well for us. We'll hope for us to get some, some British winners on the, in the first couple of races. The fear is that if the close Sutton machine gets going, we might be in a bit of trouble, especially later on in the day. I mean, is it just too cliche, too hackneyed to say, oh, everyone's just piling into Willie Mullins multiples? Or, or does this just happen even to a bespoke firm like Fitzdares year in, year out? Uh, yeah, I, I think some, sometimes it's not just the multiples we get, but it, it's just a case of if Willie lands one of these first two races, you know, and there's sort of the horses like Gaelic Warrior in, that, in, the, in the boodles, it's, the money just keeps coming and then it never really stops, I think, as the day goes on. Uh, All right, so which are the best backed horses so far? We're talking at, uh, just after Harper's Eight, uh, Tuesday morning. Okay, a lot of people haven't got rolling yet, but plenty of people will have done. Uh, what are you seeing so far? A Dysart Dynamo strong in the first. We saw plenty of money yesterday, sort of late in the afternoon, for, for Mighty Potter in the first, which came as a bit of a surprise, actually. Uh, that was very strong. But this morning, it's all about Dysart Dynamo. Um, and, uh, and Run Wild Fred in the last seems to be really strong as well. A lot of people seem to be putting that in every multiple. So, um, so one will need to get beat at the end of the day, I think. Okay, so first and last race favourites, very popular. Dysart Dynamo at the expense of Constitution Hill, would you say? He's he's standing his ground, but um, but yeah, he's not. He's sort of stood his ground all week, really. But um, the only one moving is is really Willie's at the moment. All right. So, what about some of the more sort of imaginatively priced horses during the day? Is there anything that really stands out for you? Have you have you laid a bet where you thought, mm, okay, that's interesting? Um, we've we've seen a bit of money for uh, pools in the uh, in the juvenile actually, the Bell X One, which is quite interesting, just because it's not run for him and. Um, 
and no one really seems to know. But we've seen a bit of money for that at a price now. So we're interested to see how that one gets on in the um, in the Boodles race. Uh, Sam Hocknell from uh, Fitzdares with the Market Movers there. We're in the Fitzdares Club here at Cheltenham. David Yates is alongside me, has uh, made his way down here. He's just at the moment trying to extract a tea bag from a... a a plastic cup, which is looking quite a, a tricky task. So while he tries not to burn himself, I'll... Ah, I got you back again now. Excellent. Um, hearing from Sam there, the two best-backed horses of the day are Dysart Dynamo and Run Wild Fred. Dysart Dynamo, this traditional Mullins favourite in the supreme thing, it's just a thing every year now, whether or not Henderson's got a Shishkin or an Altior, or in this case a Constitution Hill and John Bon up against him. Absolutely. Well, over the last few years, Mullins and Henderson uh, have been uh, the trainers to follow in uh, the supreme novices. Obviously, the, the, the Mullins bandwagon, the momentum behind that gets stronger and bigger every year. And so it's not a massive surprise that... I mean... We've had, haven't we, we've had Dysart Dynamo and Sir Gerhard. Who's going to go where, say, a week ago? And, of course, there were the the hints from uh, the Cheveley Park stuff that Sir Gerhard would go up in trip. You heard Mullins yesterday when I was interviewing him on the Road to Cheltenham preview programme and I was out in the middle and he said, yeah, well, this is kind of what I always wanted to do. Dysart Dynamo Supreme, Sir Gerhard in the Ballymore. That's the hint he was giving after the Dublin Racing Festival. It's all the... The, the, the talk and the yak in between times that has kind of obfuscated the picture. He's had that in his mind. He just didn't want to commit because he, he wanted to eliminate the variables. Yeah, there's, there's more of that every year. There is an answer to that, Nick, and I'm not going to make myself popular necessarily by saying this, but a trainer can always say, at this juncture, my plans are such... And please don't shoot me down if I then revise those because I'm not making a final commitment. But as things stand, this is where I would like to go. I'd like to see more of that from Willie Mullins because he's got so many horses that he will, in the final week before Cheltenham, need to split up. Let's face it, Willie Mullins is too powerful a figure to get pelters from the racing press, even when he just doesn't declare a horse with no uh, prior warning, as we'd appreciate it in the Irish champion hurdle. There was no he will, he won't go. The horse's name just wasn't among the final list. And so I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of that, I must say. I think it's a, it, that would be to the benefit of punters. And if he does change his mind, I will put my hand up now and I will promise not to throw stones at it. But I would counter that by saying, if you are going to leave it late, what's the point of leaving it seven-tenths of the way. You may as well just leave it all the way to the last minute. If you're just going to say, I'm going to leave every decision to the last minute, then kind of everybody knows that they don't know right from the word go. And I don't really have a problem with that. Okay, fair enough. That's, that's a fair point. That we're, we're, essentially, we're essentially arguing about having, occupying one, one extreme, one end of the line or the other, and not mooching around in the middle. And I see that. If, you, if, you're, if you're not going to uh, make any pronouncements, you might as well just leave it until uh, the last minute. From my own perspective, as a journalist, and I think also as a punter, it's quite nice. As I say, you know, nothing set in stone, as trainers are apt to tell us uh, throughout the, the flat and the jump season. But I think it's a, it, it would be a good thing to do. say, in my mind at the moment, this is what I'm thinking. But it may change, and if it does, do not throw stones at me. Newsboy, newsperson's nap in the in the Supreme is in the Supreme is uh, it's not my actual nap but selection is Constitution Hill uh, you know I've been very impressed with what he's done obviously this is a much harder test but uh, he's he's a horse that I think has that element of star quality about him I hope he wins today what what is it like when 
for the first time you enter the Cheltenham Festival winners' enclosure. It happened to to Paul Weber uh, a couple of years ago, just before the the pandemic, when in the final race of the meeting, his indefatigable mayor, indefatigable, got up on the line to beat Pile on a short head. Um, and she's back this afternoon, and she's not without a chance either in a, a different race, the the mayor's race this time. Paul Weber is with me now. Um, Paul, that was a that was a really special moment for you for a number of reasons. Just just tell us why. Yeah, no, it obviously was, Nick. We'd had a few near misses at Cheltenham. We just got uh, beaten in the bumper a couple of times. We missed the um, Imperial Cup County Hurdle double with Carlita Briganti, who finished second. Uh, time for Rupert came up against a thing called Big Bucks. Uh, so um, it, we battled away and left every year thinking, oh, my God, how are we going to crack this nut? And um, eventually indefatigable did it in on the last race by the shortest of heads at a meeting that obviously many people thought might shouldn't have happened anyway so we were lucky to be there yeah absolutely and there, there was something quite sort of evocative about it really as you say it was it was in the gloaming last gasp success the, the irish had won just about everything even two years ago never mind last year and yeah it was it, was there a point where you just thought well this is i just i'm just not going to have a, a winner at the Cheltenham festival that's just something i won't do it, it certainly certainly did think that most of the way and then particularly when we had the false start and uh, so they were lined up stationary and she tried to bite both of her opponents on either side and left the gate last of 24 and remained in last for the first mile and a half so we just about sort of thought oh well it's not this year um, but then her as I wrote somewhere her Merlin engine kicked in and uh, she roared up the line uh, she's got loads of really good form at Cheltenham as well it wasn't just that victory she'd run a terrific second to Dame de Compagnie earlier in the season she arguably posted something like a career best when she was second to Martello Sky here uh, back at, at Christmas time how hopeful are you today as she goes into a very different type of race a grade one race well she was fourth in it last year only beaten about four and a half lengths Concertista isn't there this year um, I think the English form, you know, we were giving five pounds to Martella Sky, we were giving weight to Maurice Diamond. I think the English form, you know, we're, we're not bad, you know, we're pretty settled with. We've got to find four pounds with Mr. Mullins's two, um, or three, or four, or five, or six. Um, and um, that's what she's got to find. But she's never let us down at Cheltenham. And if, if at the end of today we've still got that record intact, she won't have been far away. It'll be a very popular success if she wins. Do you feel that she herself is in in the sort of form needed to, to produce that career best? Yes, I, I think so. We did things a bit differently. Got her ready a bit earlier this year because she tends to leave everything best to the spring. So she achieved more in the autumn than she had done before. Obviously, we had a complete blip at, at Newbury, which still remains inexplicable. Um, but... And I think Warwick was probably a little bit too sharp for the other day and they didn't go a gallop. Just hope they go a really good, proper Cheltenham end-to-end gallop today and her stamina, you know, helps her from the last. Paul, best of luck. Thank you very much, Nick, and have a wonderful meeting. Uh, Paul Weber there, trainer of Indefatigable, and what a wonderful moment she gave him in the Martin Pipe conditional jockeys hurdle two years ago. And it's not impossible. She's a big price this afternoon, but it's certainly not impossible. She saves her best. For Cheltenham. Now, as I am speaking to you, and there are still 45 minutes until declarations close for Thursday's play, there are no declarations for the Turner's Novices Chase. Now, we fully anticipate that Galapin Deschamps, Bob Ollinger, will be declared for that. We haven't heard anything to the contrary. Walking around the place this morning, there don't seem to be any whispers to the contrary. So I think we're going to be saved any kind of debacle or embarrassment of a walkover or no, no declarations. But it's not impossible we get a match or three. Dave, and, and that'll just open up this running sore. Of course, we could get a great race still. Yes, we could do, um, but 
we will visit and revisit this week uh, the subject, the thorny subject of a five-day Cheltenham Festival. And, of course, the numbers that we know for Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, well, if, if, the, if the festival were to move from four days, looking at the numbers for the first two days, it should go back to three rather than extend to five. Now, we know that's not going to happen. Um, but I think plenty of us have, have had our say about this. My view is that the, uh, the argument that even offending the purists by extending the festival to five days will benefit uh, the sport financially. I think that's a fallacy. It would, it would, it would provide a short-term cash, in, cash injection on course and possibly off course. But then, as the years go by, when the Cheltenham Festival, as a result of uh, being over five days, is less compelling, is less interesting, Britain's best race meeting simply isn't as interesting as it used to be, then that will bring with it a negative uh, financial impact off course and on course. How will, how will punters, you, you can think that you're going to give them swill and they won't, they won't taste the difference, but uh, there'll be lots of people who would, who would bulk at paying the same admission prices for six races, especially if one of yeah. them is the, the veteran roan mare's cross-country chase yeah. for horses whose names begin with the letter X. But isn't, um, isn't it the case, Dave? And, and this is all, all good stuff. This is all stuff I can't, I can't stand here and actively kind of shout down or disagree with. But isn't it kind of irrelevant? It's not a question of whether you put on five days, six days, seven days. If you're getting kind of a, a brace of runners or a, a trio of runners in a grade one race, that grade one race needs to be subsumed into something else because it's not working as a concept. I think it, I think it can work. Whether it's four days, five days, six days, three okay. days, two days, right. if a race isn't producing runners of any, uh, you know, in any number and, does, and, and over a p- consistent period of time, okay, you have to accept that one year could be an aberration. But if over, say, the next three years, the Turners knocks up a, a, a four or five runner field, you say, right, that's got to go. That's failing. It's failing as a race. Right, well, the... The, the phrase that you uttered there that is the telling one is over a consistent period of time. And if, and I, I completely agree with that sentiment, if we go two, three, four, five years and those numbers don't change, then I think something will have to be done. One of the, one of the issues, and this isn't a, a bash William Mullins or bash Irish trainers uh, um, sermon on my part, but uh, of course the fact that Lots of English trainers now have their horses trained by Willie Mullins. means that horses that would have been somewhere else would go maybe for the two-and-a-half-miler, whereas he's thinking, right, that one for the three-miler, that one for the two-and-a-half, that one for the three-mile-six. And so th- those, the numbers in those races are being if affected mm. by the big numbers in the likes of Gordon Elliott's and Willie Mullins' yards. OK, big novice chase today, of course, is the Arkle. Who have you gone for? That, that's got a great field, 11 runners. Yeah, I've gone for Riviere Detel uh, in the Arkle, not with a great deal of confidence, but I think she was arguably unlucky not uh, to beat uh, Blue Lord at mm-hmm. uh, Leopardstown. Her tendency just maybe... It's pretty unarguable, to be honest. Yeah, her, her tendency to jump out to the right sometimes can be a bit of a concern, and I hope that's OK today. Well, I'm pleased to say that our old friend, the wine tipster, Neil Phillips, has dropped by the Fitzdares Club. And, Neil, we weren't going to let you drop by the Fitzdares Club without, without bringing, bringing in some booze at this early hour in the morning. Well, here we are going, Nick. It's great to see you. Great to be here on the first morning of the Cheltenham Festival. And we ought to start off with some bubbles, really, shouldn't we? I think just to get the panic going a bit here. So channeling some old-school Alan Brazil vibes and drink, drinking a harvest day in the morning. <laughs> Sound like it, don't I? listen to that sound 
opening a bottle of Nye Timber Classic Cuvée coming from Sussex and Kent. Um, for, for anyone who didn't have a big night last night, that's a really welcome sound. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, no, beautiful, uh, classic English sparkling wine, Nick. And I'm just pouring Nick a nice glass here. And they make beautiful wines. They're here in the orchards. They've got their stand here. So you can come and find them. Go into their Rootmaster bus. Enjoy some Night Timber Classic Cuvée. They've got a great rosé as well. And what a great way to start the Cheltenham Festival 2022. Yeah, cheers, Neil. Cheers, Nick. Of course, it's not just the hospitality that you're taking care of this week or indeed going around giving everybody tips. Uh, you've got a runner, which is rather exciting. Just tell me about what's happening for, for you and a bunch of friends. Oh, it's really, really exciting, Nick. Tomorrow in the Champion Chase, we have Fun and Ball Civiler running for my racing manager friends. Uh, Ellie Morgan started my racing manager. I've got involved, met through hospitality. It's wonders of hospitality uh, <laughs> once again. And I've got a share in Fun and Ball Civiler. And... Look, I've been doing quite a lot of running recently. I haven't run so fast in all my life because I keep thinking about the champion chase. <laughs> it speeds you up a bit, really. But look, we're so excited. He was really good at Newbury in the game spirit. He'll like the ground. Two miles is his trip. But obviously, it's one heck of a stellar field. But, and, but if you ever thought you were going to be standing in the parade ring at Cheltenham for the Queen Mother champion chase, wow. Well, I mean, we will definitely drink to that. I mean, just the, the thrill of ownership is one thing. Even going to Plumpton on a Monday or, or Stratford on a Monday, as plenty of people did did yesterday, and I'm sure had a, had a great time. But for, for you, with a you know, relatively inexpensive horse, to, to be here rubbing shoulders with, with the great and the good, how does it feel? Oh, mind-blowing, because I'm a Gloucestershire boy as well. I never thought, you know, 50 brought up 15 miles from the course and for all of us involved in the syndicate when we started and by the way let's remember Funnable Civil didn't win a hurdle race wasn't expected to and but I always remember when Eddie Morgan sent us a clip of Funnable Civil jumping some fences on the gallops of Venetia's and I thought wow because he's very low he's very quick he gets away from his fences very quickly and he's really matured and it's really really going to be quite something I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hold it all together to be quite frank well, and I know, I know you know, it's great just to have a runner or whatever, but you're, st- you're staring down the barrel of Shishkin, Enegume, Chacan Porsoir, Nubi Negra, Put the Kettle On, Politolog, even the ones that have got no chance have won the race before. <laughs> well, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, if you'd gone back to, say, last year's race, you know, he'd be, be quite, he'd be sort of third or fourth favourite, maybe. But here we are in, in what is, for many people, the race of the week, Nick. And, it, and it's, you know, you're going back to what has also been the race of the season at Ascot with Shishkin and Nergamin. And here they are, and Shaqan as you say. And, you know, Dan Skelton's very keen on Nubi Negro. What a, what a lineup! And we're part of it, which is amazing. Well, as I said, we'll, we'll definitely drink to that. And that actually slipping down surprisingly well, Neil. Cheers. Thanks for dropping by. Cheers, Nick. Let's have a great week. Uh, Neil, Neil Phillips joining us here in the, uh, in the Fitzstairs Club, which is down in the orchard. Uh, turn left at Glen Farkless if you want the instructions. Uh, Dave Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is currently practising his golf swing. You couldn't quite determine that as a golf swing. It could have been. It could have been sort of baseball or. It was more Jim Furyk than Tiger Woods. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we heard from Neil Phillips there about his excitement and his fellow owners' excitement. Five of them going into tomorrow's Champion Chase with Funambul Sivilla, an outsider. There are stories this week. There are human interest stories, Dave, lurking in there that are going to be a lot of fun for you to write if things. Come, come good for you. Tommy's Oscar in the champion hurdle being an obvious one. You've been talking to the Hamiltons. Harriet Graham's eye right in the, in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Polly Gundry with Santini. There are smaller trainers and smaller outfits out there who could, who could provide some, some really interesting um, stories against the Goliaths of Gordon Elliott with his 64 runners and Willie Mullins with his north of 50. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And uh, from 
both a, a journalistic perspective and as a, a fan of the sports perspective, I really hope that those, uh, the Davids beat uh, the Goliaths. Uh, the second book of Samuel, chapter 17, of course, is where we read of, of that particular one-sided face-off. Um, the, it, it's, it's really important for the sport that we don't just have uh, a, a Mullins May Day or March Day parade uh, this week. I, I would well, love... Elliot's got more runners. And he could, he could easily have more winners. Okay. Or, okay, let me put it another way. It's, it's important for the sport and for the Cheltenham Festival that the behemoth stables, if I may use that word without sounding pretentious, are... Well, you just have, so... <laughs> I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let our NLD listeners decide. It's important that they are not totally dominant and that we do have a Santini, an I Wright, uh, a Tommy's Oscar, uh, because they're the, those stories are, are the... You know, they're, they're, the, they're the lifeblood of, of, of sports and racing journalism, aren't they? Uh, if we could write something. The, the Ian and Anne, Anne Hamilton story is absolutely exceptional in that there is, there is one metric in which one suggests that the, the metric that suggests it should be the Irish uh, juggernauts that should be running scared of them, and that is the strike rate, isn't it? They've had 12 winners from 28 runners uh, this year, which is a 43% strike rate, and they're doing that with four horses in uh, a farm 15 miles from Hadrian Wall. It's a a truly amazing story, and if that were to come out today uh, with a victory for Tommy's Oscar, for example, that would be be the story of the week, whatever happens during the next three days, I, I would venture. And, Dave, it's a story that's already been massively appreciated by uh, our uh, long-standing supporters here on the on the pod, the Racehorse Owners Association here in the UK, who consistently promote the impact and benefits of ownership while they work to make ownership more, more rewarding. And they're sponsoring the Cheltenham Festival Leading Owner Award uh, and the Daily ROA Owner of the Day Award, both of which will be championing owners' successes and their contributions to the sport. And, uh, as we've just been discussing, today's ROA Owner of the Day, come what may with Tommy's Oscar this afternoon, is Ian Hamilton of Claywalls Farm, Cap Eaton in Northumberland, uh, and that victory in a, in the Unibet Champion Hurdle would be something that would go down in in Cheltenham Festival folklore, as uh, as Dave was saying. And Ian himself says he's an understandable mix of emotions. And he he talked to the ROA just half an hour before he set off with his wife Anne and Tommy's Oscar yesterday. And uh, you can read more on that on the ROA website. Well, for every Ian and Anne Hamilton, there is, of course, as Dave was saying, a, a behemoth owner who's had conspicuous success at the Cheltenham Festival before. I mean, look no further than Rich Ritchie, who is back with a whole clutch of exciting horses this year. Chacun uh, Pour none more so. He's on a retrieval mission in the Queen Mother Championship. He'll be ridden by Patrick Mullins. More of that in a moment. What about today and this extraordinary talking horse, Gaelic Warrior in the Boodles, never run in the UK before. Yeah, everyone's mentioning him. Joe Chambers is Rich Ritchie's racing manager. He's a regular on, on this podcast. Come on, Joe. Is this, is this horse the real deal? Do we keep getting stuck in, even though he's now sort of a, a sort of counterintuitive price? That's Willie's line, isn't it? GSI time. Get stuck in. Um, I've no idea. It clearly has made the market for everybody else from a punting point of view, but the vibes from the yard are very strong and encouraging. Uh, they think that he's well-treated. Willie's particularly bullish. That he's, uh, he's ahead of the mark that he's been allocated by the British handicapper. Um, you know, and we, we were intending for him to be a supreme horse next season, but we had a go as a bit of a project, and let's see if we can pull it off. Yeah, now, if you didn't have Vauban, who is, you know, 
a really, really warm order for the Triumph Hurdle. Do you think you'd have had a bash at the Triumph Hurdle with this horse? No. Uh, the plan here was to see if we could get the mark that he had in France honoured um, in the UK, uh, which we did. And if we didn't get that, we'd have put him away till next season. So we were never really thinking Triumph. It was either Fred Winter or wait till next year. That's OK. All these sort of theories about whether the mark's right and whether the handicap has made a, made a Horlicks of it. What's your read on that? Um... I think the read is that the form of his last run is the one that reads considerably stronger than a handicap in hindsight. You know, there's a lot of grade one, grade two and grade three form. It's probably the strongest French juvenile form last year for whatever that is worth. Only time will tell. Um, and I think in that context, he does look well treated. You'd hope that there's some improvement with maturity. He was barely four years of age when he ran last time, barely three years of age when he ran last time out. He won't yet be four years of age this afternoon in reality. So, you know, he's still got a lot of maturing and development to do. So you'd hope that he has improved since his last run. And in the context of that run, he does look to be well treated. I want to talk about tomorrow and Chacan Poussois because it's unfinished business for him. He didn't make the race two years ago. He got here, but he didn't make the lineup. He ran fine last year, but below expectations. And now he's ridden by Patrick Mullins again. He was disappointing for him in the Tingle Creek. And Patrick himself has got unfinished business, having fallen when going so well on, on your Duvan or Rich's Duvan in this race. So it's, it's some, some great storylines intertwining. Gut feeling, Joe, what's going to happen? Um... Nothing would give us greater pleasure if he did win, I can tell you that much. The, the Queen Mother has a bit of a checkered history with us from Champagne Fever getting bitten by Une 2 on the way over in the BHA, not allowing him run when he was near, pretty close to favourite. Duvan getting beaten at odds on, Shackon beaten at odds on, Shackon getting going lame the morning of the race, Min running up the backside of Altior a couple of years. Um, I think it's going to be very hard for him. He's a year older. My, my gut tells me that his chance was the year he went lame. Um, and we probably got the tactics wrong last year and that we weren't aggressive enough, which you kind of see in his next time out run at Punchestown. Paul was in no doubt as to what he wanted to do. The trouble I hear is that if we want to redeploy those tactics and Paul does the same in an urgent mean, there's only going to be one winner in that Shishkin, isn't it? So it's going to be hard. But um, yeah, Patrick is the bit between his teeth. And I know Willie, uh, ever since the Dublin Racing Festival, has kind of viewed him as a bit of a project to get him back for the Queen Mother to try a few things different and my experience of Willie when he's like that is you just he loves a project and a task and he's pretty good at figuring them out so it, it, it's going to be fascinating it would be great if he could do it but I think he's up against it well very lucky this week on the Nick Light Daily podcast to have our artist in residence Liz Armstrong who is exhibiting just inside the door in the shopping village she has got pride of place and frankly I can see why Liz very early Tuesday morning how excited are you about a week like this and how important is it for you and your and your business I'm very, very excited. I've got a very fond closeness with Cheltenham as when they built the new um, Princess Royal stand, they asked me to do 16 drawings on the third floor and two in the roll box. Um, it's a great place to be. And obviously being an equine artist, you're right on top of all the action. So you are excited and your adrenaline's buzzing. <laughs> I mean, I love your work. There's something so expressive about it. You're a goldsmith trained artist. What inspired you to go into, into racing as your sort of main passion? I've always loved horses. I always wanted my own pony, which we could never afford because I come from Croydon. But <laughs> I um, rode other people's and um, I went to Jersey about 20 years ago and met my mentor, Godfrey Amy. 
who encouraged me he had horses training in Newmarket he encouraged me to paint in my modern contemporary style and that's how it all started <laughs> um, and how would you I mean modern and contemporary yes two words that would describe your style but describe it to be in a bit more in a bit more depth a bit more detail what are you trying to create right I think a horse especially um, a thoroughbred horse is a flight animal and it's the speed and the whole passion of the movement of the horse which excites me. I don't really do what I call chocolate box art where a horse is just standing there looking at you. I like to have the feeling that when they're jumping or running you can get the movement and so when you see the paintings you feel you're going with the horses. And I never use a lot of details if I'm putting a jockey in the horse on the faces because when you watch a race, you never see the details on the jockey's faces. You just get the feeling that they're all travelling really fast. Interestingly, our, our painting of the day is called The Waiting Game and it struck me straight away. It takes pride of place in your, in your gallery. And there's something very unusual about it. I couldn't put my finger on, on what it is. What materials have you used to, to, to make this? Um, I use a lot of very unusual materials, but this is something I discovered several years ago. In fact, when I started creating the drawings for the new stand at Cheltenham, it's actually coffee that you drink and tea. And different types of coffee, I'm not naming any brands, are different colours. The pigment is different. But coffee is a great, it's got a warming and I think quite an equine and a different feel. And I use it in preparation when I make my own canvases. It's a background and I incorporate it in the actual drawing of the, um, of the movement or the positions. Of the horses and you talk about movement i mean this is not horses in flight but this is horses waiting to, waiting to start this is lining up at the start and you can you can very much see the the sense of anticipation that you're trying yes. to trying to create there that's exactly what i am trying to create they're talking among themselves the horses know their job they know what they're going to do but it's the waiting game and it's almost like today the waiting game until the first race <laughs> Liz, it's great to have you with us during the course of the week. Can't wait to talk about um, how you've got on the first day and, and, and have a chat again tomorrow. That would be fantastic, Nick. And thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Not a bit. Resident artist to the podcast this week, Liz Armstrong. Well, we talk a lot about how the, how the British bred horses are going to strike back, how British interests will strike back against the Irish dominance here at the Cheltenham Festival. And it's all in the production, really. If you make more good horses, you've got a, a better chance of training them here and, and winning races. And as we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their stallion, but we check in today with Roisin Close, who owns and manages Chapel Stud. And four of the five stallions are in the, the stallion book and on the on the app, Bangkok, Indian Haven, Planter and Valsa Tact. Uh, Roisin, great to talk to you. What are you guys trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? We, um, we're trying to offer British breeders some quality uh, national hunt, dual-purpose stallions uh, so that they don't always have to ship their mares over to Ireland or to France to breed top-class racehorses. And I suppose your, your flagship success story so far is, is Planter, in no small part, thanks to the exploits of a horse who you might have thought would be running in something like the champion hurdle, but in fact has been so good on the flat, they haven't dared risk him in, in Trushan. 
Yes, exactly. And uh, to be fair, we can't really take any of the credit for that other than we bought him at just the right time. Um, you know, he's Plantas had phenomenal success um, on the track from um, on both flat and national hunt. Um, from his seasons, he stood in France before he he came to us. So we're a little bit riding on their their coattails, but I very much hope we can continue, if not um, improve, on that in the coming years. And what attracted you to him? Uh, again, I I can't take the credit. Um, Simon Davis, who owns them, he uh, was looking for options for his national hunt mares. So it was it was his idea uh, to try and find uh, a stallion to stand. And then um, he tasked Richard Venn um, to go out and look and see what he could find. So um, I was just smart enough to say yes when they asked me to stand him. So just tell me a little bit about you, Roisin, and, and why you're you're in this business and, and what inspired you to, to want to stand a bunch of stallions. Um, oh, I'm typical, <laughs> not very good at school, but loved horses, um, didn't really know what else to do, was kind of flitting between um, various low-paid mucking-out jobs, and, and my parents told me that I had to... Um, I had to do something more with my life. I couldn't be mucking out forever. So um, I went to, to college, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I did a stud course um, at Hartbury, actually, and, and uh, I had to do a, a year out. It was an old-fashioned sandwich course. So I did a year in, and then I did a year out. And um, we have a very good family friend, uh, Dr. David Powell, who worked at the Equine Research Institute in Lexington, the Gluck um research institute there and he sourced me a job at TaylorMade in america so i was duly shipped off there and i had the most fantastic time i spent 18 months out there and i was completely bitten by the bug um didn't bother going back to college did a, a short stint at Lambwades and uh, for ted mount doing the sales and then found myself firmly ensconced at tween hills um and i've just been lucky with the people i've met on the way um you know the horses I've been able to work with, the support I've got, um, and it is—it's one of those those industries. That if it, if it's for you, it really is for you. You're kind of well and truly sucked in, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, as we often say on this podcast, total immersion uh, for you, Roisin. and and yeah. Simon Davis, who's invested really heavily in in these stallions. What's what's driving him? Do you think? I guess probably the same thing that, you know, he's been bitten by the breeding bug um, and it's not just stallions, you know, he's 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 got a, a hell of a broodmare band now and purchasing youngsters by um, both Volt Attack and Planter to kind of help further their careers. You know, it's important that you're supporting your stallions and you're sending your own horses, you're trading in um the stock so you know he's he's really in it 100 percent, and um you know, he's, a, he's a great kind of partner to have who, who believes very much in in the product he's producing well fingers crossed that we will see horses by Valter Tact and, and Planter and perhaps even Bangkok who knows at uh, Cheltenham festivals in in years to come indeed we might not have to wait wait too long I mean would you be would you be pretty hopeful that that's a, a realistic possibility Absolutely. I mean, um, for Planter particularly, today everything that's running for him is flatbread, whether they're running on the flat or over fences. And he's had pretty good success with his flatbread horses um, 
under Nashamont Coes. In fact, uh, I think it's tomorrow. He's got a really exciting young horse um, trained by Louisa Carberry in France running in his first listed race, a horse called Grandiose, um, who looks like a, a, a proper chaser in the making. So, you know, it's all exciting times. And he's already produced Group 2 winners um, over fences. So... Yeah, I mean, it is uh, absolutely conceivable. And, and Bowles attacked is a little bit earlier in his career. Um, the three and four year olds, he's had a couple of really exciting hurdle winners in France. Um, you know, and he hasn't got big crops. So um, there's an awful lot to like and, and to look forward to with both of them. Well, thanks to Roisin and thanks to all my guests today here on this first Cheltenham Festival uh, NLD. Dave Yates is going to round off the show. So we know that you're tipping Constitution Hill in the Supreme and Riviera Dettel in the Arkle and appreciate it in the champion hurdle. What about the Ultima? Right, our power is the horse I've gone for there. Two pounds out of the handicap, but he ran a, a, a really good race in the, the, the Coral Trophy, the, the horse that you know we know through most of its time as the Racing Post chase at the end of uh, February at Kempton. Um, he was about eight lengths off the first two trained by Christian Williams, but he was staying on everywhere he went. He had a door closed in his face. He also stumbled after the last fence before uh, running on with gusto. Um, so I would put our power in, in that race and the excellent Charlie Deutsch, his presence in the saddle is a definite plus. Um, later in the day, uh, we've got the Mayor's Hurdle, the National Hunt Chase. Yes, uh, I went with, I've napped the, the well-backed uh, Run Wild Fred uh, in the National Hunt Chase. His win ratio, is it one from ten so far, uh, is a little bit underwhelming, but a, at least three of those have been in big field handicaps. And he did win the Troy Town uh, at Navan in November. I, I agonised um, over the Mayor's race uh, between tell me something girl and mrs milner we talked about this actually yesterday and um in the end i went for tell me something girl i think that the uh, the trip i think it'd be a well-run race but possibly coming back to two and a half miles might just find out mrs milner she was a really good winner of course of the per temps here uh, last year tell me something girl won the won the dawn run didn't she under a, a, a come from the back ride from rachel blackmore she'll no doubt employ the same tactics here today both those horses come here on the back of an absence and that will be we, we obviously the way that one looks at one tries to interpret and analyze horse racing form changes every day and one thing that is definitely changing now 15 years ago we would have written appreciate it uh, mrs milner and tell me something girl it's a slight worry that we haven't seen tell me something girl uh, since christmas these days of course uh, it's not a worry uh, the training methods at the disposal of some of these trainers just mean that uh, not visiting the racetrack is no longer a drawback. No, and absolutely. If you actually see some of the racecourse gallops they do uh, in the in the weeks leading up, they're yeah, they're as good as they're as good as races, really. Um, so you've gone for Mrs. Milner, you've gone for Run Wild Fred, and one in the Boodles. Yeah, HMS Seahorse. I thought. I mean, I think that if you, it's a cop out to to tip the favourite Gaelic Warrior. You know, 
all the all the chat about that horse has been a, was there an error in in this horse's mark he's one two nine connections would have gladly raced off one three nine um everybody likes him at Clasutton. well okay if we get if we get a couple of favorites winning earlier in the day that horse is going to go off i think at about seven to four six to four and in a in a big field on his first start for willie mullins when we are in a sense still groping in the dark as to which of these are well handicapped horses and which aren't um i couldn't in all good conscience um that's something you thought you'd never hear me say uh tip the, the favorite so you say it a lot i just don't believe it <laughs> so in the end i've gone with the value i hope and that's hms seahorse david yates thank you very much newsboy from the daily mirror enjoy the first day of cheltenham uh, may your your pockets be full and your hearts uh, be equally so we will see you again tomorrow thanks so much for listening bye-bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.